right, here we go. Let's go. This is the media circus. Who's your host, Taisha Bradley? Got virtual and live events to broadcast your channel repeat so gladly. And she got that online subscription for the Buzzity League. One thing that's safe to say is she got what you need. And seen in forms of journey and a shout out ATL. Tip the big media circus. Moving in, we doing well. We want you to do better. That's why we here. Show you how to browse, pitch, repeat. Let's get it clear. Yes, welcome to the Media Circus Podcast. I am your hostess, Taisha Bradley, celebrity publicist, and I am super excited for our guest today. Our guest is Allie Walensky. She is a New York City-based food and lifestyle writer with nearly two decades, 20 years of writing experience for various digital publications like all the publications. <laughs> She's focused on the latest in dining trends and budget meal planning tips. And Allie was rated the number one food journalist by Muckrack in 2022 last year. Yes. And she has an amazing daily Substack newsletter where she shows her current projects, source needs, and her industry insights. So you guys, welcome Allie Walensky. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> thank you for being here. It's such an honor to have you. Like I see as a publicist, I see your name all the time, everywhere on all the things, right? <laughs> I'm like, Allie is every single place. And that's because you have like a, a career long um, stint in journalism. So do you mind telling us about like how you got started in journalism? And I mean, we're going to go like back to the very beginning when you were like, hey, this might be something for me. What was that? What sure. was that I mean, well, it was so long ago, there were like horses and buggies, probably. <laughs> but um, I was a journalism major in college. But at the time, I honestly thought journalism was like writing about like wars and news. And that was depressing to me. So I ended up going into copy editing and line editing and all that. And it was for a children's book publisher. And this is when I was like 22. And I got laid off like a year in because apparently children don't read enough, which is a thing. <laughs> so I know not a good thing, but it's a thing. And so and I decided to freelance until I got my next quote real job. And then I realized that was my real job. And I've been freelancing since. <laughs> Very nice. And so um, some of our listeners, they know exactly what a freelance journalist is. Some people don't. And you, your title is a freelance journalist. And we know that in media, like there's a thousand and one titles, right? <laughs> Even I have trouble keeping up sometimes. Do you mind explaining like in your own words what a freelance journalist is? Sure. So essentially, it means I work for myself rather than being on staff at any publication. I pitch story ideas to many publications. So in the course of a week, I might have stories in a dozen different online publications, print publications, whatever. Could be less, of course. But um, it just means I work for myself and not anyone else. Although sometimes it feels like I work for actually a dozen someone else's. But. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Now, this is a question that we tend to have that people will also like to know about. Like as a freelance writer, how do you earn income? Surely, you know, there's there's a way, there's so many different ways that writers can earn income, but specifically like for freelancers, we have a lot of freelancers on the podcast and our connection. How does that work? It's almost like a gig economy in that, you know, you pay the Uber driver for the ride. So when I pitch a story I did to an editor, they'll say like, yes, we'd love to buy this story. The rate for the story is whatever it is. And so you're paid per story. And it forces you to be very proactive in pitching because there's no one who's going to be like reminding you to go to work in the morning. You'll just not make any money. So <laughs> it's basically, right. yeah. So it's per article, per project. Sometimes you get a relationship with a publication where you'll have a certain amount of projects a week or a month guaranteed, mm -hmm. but that's basically how it works. Nice. Thank you for the explanation. Um, share with us what publications do you currently write for like right now? 
right this second. I write for um, Forbes.com, um, Food Network, Southern Living, um, All Recipes, Today.com, The Kitchen, Clean Plates, basically a lot of online food. A lot. Yeah, <laughs> I do travel also, but travel usually with leaning to food, which is the best part of traveling anyway. Right. And so food and travel, would you say those are like your main niche topics? Yeah, I mean, definitely I hit the whole lifestyles umbrella, especially around the holidays. I'm writing all those gift guides everyone likes to read. Yes. But um, for the most part, if I was going to say what my writing like niche was, it would be food. It would be food. Nice. Listen, you can't go wrong with that. Everyone loves food. <laughs> Nice. Um, and so when I looked at your bio a long time ago, I was trying to see like what you were places that you've worked like a while ago, because, you know, I've been in my career as a publicist for over 20 years also. And like sometimes I like look at my resume or look at my LinkedIn and go like way down yeah. to the bottom and I'm like, oh, yeah, I did that. So there are a couple of places that you uh, have written for that I like to ask you about. Of course. So what's up with ShoeTube? <laughs> it was literally, oh, my gosh, I nearly forgot that this that goes way back. It was literally a publication where people just discussed shopping for shoes and shoe buying tips. <laughs> I don't think it exists anymore. But it was, it was like that name is genius. Yeah, it was, essentially, it was a website that did. I guess now we would consider it a blog or even like a newsletter because I think they sent out like an email version where. Uh -huh. You would discuss shoe shopping related um, <laughs> content. It feels so ridiculous now, but at the time it was very fun. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, look at that. So another thing that I want to ask you about that you wrote for was Hooters had a publication. Yes. That was Tell actually about that. Oh my gosh. That was my very first editorial job. I wow. was managing editor of Hooters magazine. It was, I guess if you had to compare it to something that exists today, it's sort of like a maxim. Or like, okay. yeah, like in that concept where definitely there was Hooters related content, like, like the Hooters, like charitable initiatives that we're doing, like check out the car wash that we did for whatever. And also, <laughs> but it was still Hooters. Um, but then there was like, you know, music coverage and like lifestyles. It was essentially a men's entertainment magazine, but no nudity. <laughs> yeah, wow, I never knew that they had a publication. I don't think they do anymore. And it was quarterly mm, at the time, mm. but you could pick it up in a Hooters restaurant. But also, I think in like libraries mm. and bookstores. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was That's official really cool. in a weird way. <laughs> That's really awesome. Um, so just a second ago when we were talking, you were talking about like when you um, got started with writing and some of the things that you write for now are gift guides. And it's about gift guide season. Like it's just really getting high and everybody's like, oh, summer. And I'm like, oh, yes, a winter, fall gift guides. Like it's already time thinking ahead like that. Um, and I actually saw a YouTube video where you had like a channel where you talked about gift guides and gift guide items. Um, tell me what your take is for like gift guides right now. Well, first, if you could explain what a gift guide is in your words, yes. and then give me your take on like gift guides for like today. Oh, well, I think that gift guides in general are more popular than ever because so many sites are falling into that e-commerce model. Um, yeah. Essentially, it's just, it's an article with a shopping list of gift ideas for the holidays and you, the, the holiday gift guide is the most known one but there's also valentine's day father's day mother's day like yeah. there's always a reason to do a, a shopping article so because so much of my content is food related a lot of my gift guides end up being like you know steaks you could send your dad that you could order online or kitchens things so they end up very much in my genre but there's gift guides that exist for any interest in the world that you have, fishing gear, shoes. <laughs> yes. What impact do you think gift guides, being listed in gift guide has for people who have like a product or a service is in the gift guide? Like what kind of impact could they expect from being featured in a gift guide? I think it probably depends largely on like how big and popular the publication is. But if it's a publication with a lot of traffic, they could end up having tremendous sales out of being included. I've heard stories of people selling out and being out of stock because they were included in a couple of gift guides. 
Wow. Yes. I think one of the gift guides that um, people would recognize um, very easily, whether they know it's a gift guide or not, is uh, Oprah's favorite things. Mm -hmm. That's you like, know? you're in that, you are set. <laughs> you, are, you are set, right? Because that's a gift guide. When I try to explain to people what a gift guide is, it's something like that. Um, and some gift guides can be like advertorial like. I really like those where, you know, it doesn't seem like it's a sales kind of thing. It's like a full ad or, a, you know, something like a full advertorial that you can watch. But then there are also like the products and services in there. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's a great opportunity for product publicity. It's oh, yeah. um, something that I recommend a lot for people who are looking for publicity that are like makers and creators or have something they could list in gift guides. Um, what time of year do you think is best for people to start getting prepared to be featured in like holiday gift guides? Like the um, if they're thinking guides? of print publications, believe it or not, right now, because they work six months ahead. That's why people right are now. like, that's where the whole joke Christmas in July came from. Yes. Uh, yeah. But for digital people like me, I would say around late September, early October is when we start working on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I usually think you would think that October would be good enough, but I'm like, oh, that's just really so close. I like to do like at least 90 days. You know, yeah. kind of out. That's a nice, good little round number. Sometimes it'll, you know, it may be 60 days is enough lead way. But 90 is like a good round number if you're going to be pitching like digital online to yeah. freelance writers. So um, do so at what point in time, if at, there's a point in time, do people send like their products in? Do you like accept products for the gift guides or do you accept like photos? How does that work with you? And then how would you say that that works with gift guides like in general? Well, for me personally, when I'm working on a gift guide, I'll put in my daily Substack. This is the topic. This is what I'm looking for. And then they email me things like, websites where it's available, what the price is, specs, um, maybe a Dropbox link to an image. I don't like people to send me unsolicited products without me asking for it. And mm -hmm. I usually actually won't ask for products, basically because I know a lot of smaller companies don't have budget to be sending a bunch of product around. And as we could see from my humble abode, I don't have a lot of room for a lot of products. So if it's a matter of I'm writing like the 10 best mail order you know, sushi kits. I might ask for that because I'll sit in my apartment and use it and see what works and what doesn't and what arrives smelly. And yeah, that's, I have to evaluate. But if I'm doing a roundup of couches, I'm not going to ask anyone to send me a couch. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm exercise about it, but I wouldn't actually do it. <laughs> yes. And so that's a big thing. I, you know, most journalists highly discourage people from just, you know, being, too far ahead of themselves in sending something. Um, uh, someone I was speaking to said that, you know, you brought up the stakes that a company had sent her stakes to her home unsolicited. She mm -hmm. was out of the country. That's happened to me. Exactly. <laughs> she had stakes rotting. Yes. On porch. <laughs> I have a really lovely neighbor in my apartment building and she texted me once when I was out of the country. She's like, something smells like fish and it's in the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> so it's probably something for you. Yeah. Basically, my neighbors know if it's a random perishable delivery sitting in the apartment building lobby, chances are it's for me. <laughs> it's for you. Um, and definitely because you do travel a lot, because you do a lot of press trips. Mm -hmm. um, I put in my notes, queen of press trips. <laughs> <laughs> so will you explain to our audience um, what a press trip is? Sure. So I would say if we look at products in the perspective of samples, a press trip is sampling a destination. So yes. you might be hosted by a brand or a property or like a restaurant next week I'm going on a press trip and it's for the opening of a celebrity chef's restaurant. So the property where the restaurant is in is hosting me. So it might be a situation like that, or it might be an airline has a new feature. So they will have a press trip where you, they take you on the airline to experience the feature. So that's usually how I explain it. Like press trips is a review sample. And just like any other sample, you'll experience it, consider it. And then you try to find story angles based on that experience. Right. Um, and so for press trips, do you have to have certain credentials to be considered for them? Do they reach out to you? Do you reach out to them to be involved as a writer? Oh, they reach out to me. And I'll be honest, I probably get You're like, so popular. Like, no, no. In general, like, you know, I get probably like a dozen invites a day. I say yes to maybe once a month because oh I, work, I write like three or four stories a day. If I'm traveling, you I'm not do. writing. 
Yeah. Yeah, you do. That it sounds like the dream though to do press trips like it's amazing. But I will say, as much as on Instagram they look like vacations, they usually schedule you from dawn till dusk, not five minutes by yourself. You're in a van with a bunch of strangers all day. It's not glamorous at all, but it's fun. <laughs> yes. And so do they typically compensate you for coming and for your time? Or do you get your compensation in like the content that you would create from the press trip? Right. They don't pay. Influencers get paid to go on press trips. Right? Journalists don't. So that's a divide. Another conversation is why influencers and journalists shouldn't be on the same press trips and sometimes wow. are. Wow. Um, no, next conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's totally a thing. It's like, it's not good to mix because <laughs> different wow. people with different needs. Like, sure. Yeah. Influencers are all about creating visual content and journalists want to interview the sommelier about his grapes. So, right. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Probably totally different content that will come out of this. So. Yeah. So whenever there's like a mix and match situation, it's all very awkward, but no. So what it happens is a publicist will send a press trip invite. Please come to our resort and an experience blah, 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 they have at the resort. And then the job of the journalist is to go on that experience, come get story ideas out of it, and then pitch the story to their editors. And in order for it to be worth the time of going, it, you have to know you're going to get a certain amount of stories out of it that you could sell that it'll be worth the time you were away from your routine. Mm -hmm. Which is why I have friends that travel so much more than I do, but I try to limit it to like long weekend trips and no more than once a month, just so that I could like balance, you know, the travel part of my job, which is fun, and the sit in front of your computer part of the job, which is necessary. Right. The non-glamorous parts that people don't see. <laughs> yeah, like me with a big thermos of coffee and sweatpants sweating it through. <laughs> Nice. Now I'm going to go back to your background again. Um, are you just naturally a writer? Did you study writing? Like, how did you get started? Because you really pump out the content. And I feel like to do that on that this level, like it has to be a gift. So tell I mean, us. <laughs> I did always want to be a writer, though. When I was a little girl, I really wanted to write like romance novels, like, you know, the bodice ripper ones. Whoa. That is what I wanted to do. And but you couldn't major in trashy romance novel in college. If you could have, I would have. So yeah. the closest mm -hmm. thing I could find to a writing major was journalism. So I was a journalism major and I was a um, English literature minor. And wow. So I always was into reading and writing, but I honestly, when I was growing up, did not know there was a job where you could like go and eat food and then write about the food because that's even better than writing about, you know, smut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get free food. Um, yeah. You know, you think that back then, I think the only thing that was kind of like that was like a food critic. Right. You know, yeah. People were afraid of those people. <laughs> no, no. Like, you know, the food critics of the world are so much more serious. My yeah. articles are more like, these are my favorite 10 martinis in New York City. <laughs> and I'm down with that. <laughs> right. I think that opens it up so much more. Um, because like I've done a lot of PR for restaurants and chefs, and they're they're just always like so worried about like food critics. Um, but you know, with the surgeons of like bloggers, you're like, listen, let's not do critics. We'll do bloggers, journalists, <laughs> the people that are happy to be eating. <laughs> yeah, I am very, very happy. And I also, I don't, I never want to hurt someone's business. I will never write yeah. a negative review about a restaurant or bar. Mm -hmm. I just, if I don't have a great experience, I won't write about it. Ah, so how do you, so if you go somewhere and you have a negative experience, um, does the restaurant typically know that you are there and that you might be writing a story? They know. Yeah, they know. So I don't go like a, a food critic would anonymously just like go to a restaurant right. and have mm -hmm. the experience. Mine is almost like with the press trip where a publicist will be like, hey, we have this new restaurant opening or a new chef or a new menu. Can I make a reservation for you and a guest? And then they'll comp us the dinner. Right. And so it's like it's like a sample also to sample nail. And then I will like evaluate what from the dinner is something I'd want to write about. Was it a really good raw bar was it the most amazing mushroom soup of my life and that will be what I write about and if I don't write about it then probably that someone got food poisoning or something 
So how does that conversation go when you decide that you aren't going to write about them after all? Like what gets said? <laughs> well, it isn't really, there was never that big dramatic like reality TV show moment. It's more like you thank them for setting up the reservation. You thank them for having had you. And then I'll be like, I'll let you know if any story opportunities come up and then I'll send you a link if I write about it right yeah there's usually something good to write about even Mm -hmm. if the food is so so they might have had really amazing service or a really amazing cocktail program there's always something that you could write about yes so tell me what makes a a good story to you like a newsworthy relevant story like what are things that you would like love to write about I like writing about things that are interesting, like a trend, using an ingredient in a different way. Like I was in a restaurant not that long ago, and they had caviar baked potatoes. So you have something that's the most basic thing that everyone's mom made growing up, baked potatoes for dinner, and then you stick a bunch of caviar on it. So I felt like that was like taking ingredients and using them differently. I love that. I love chefs. Yeah, I would would eat that right now Mm -hmm. if I could. Um, I love chefs with interesting stories to tell. I mean, I think now with the whole AI thing taking over or trying to take over, when you have tell real people's stories in a personal way, that's how we can't be taken over by robots. Right. Yes. Yes. That's what people are concerned about AI, but I'm like, it's very much so a tool and yeah. not a replacement, you know? Right. People like, heard of it and haven't used it. I'm like, if you used it, like, you would understand better that it's definitely not a replacement for people like at all it's it's a tool (laughs) no not at all i mean it's not going to replace us any faster than cliff notes replaced actual books it's a it's a way of choosing yeah like you could use it for like you know research or a co-pilot but don't let it fly the plane (laughs) right so what do you think about like these publications these blog posts these articles that are being written and published by um, AI technology. Is that becoming problematic or is it like no comparison? What's your take on that? I mean, I think it's terrible. And I know that there's some publications that are no longer actively seeking out freelancers. And I, you know, you know, in that case, they've decided that real human beings can be replaced by machines. I mean, doesn't, don't some fast food restaurants use kiosks now instead of hiring people? They do. Basically, this is the kiosking of journalism. Right. Right. Yeah, it's true. But then there's still always like those white tablecloth fine dining places that people are just going to pay for the experience. I hope <laughs> because so. Because they want the human touch because there's a difference. So you're not. They're definitely um, highly intelligent audience people who do not want AI generated content. You know, I they want that. the stories and the emotions and the thoughts and feelings of real people like in the writing. Um, what do you think about the use of AI tools for like media pitching? See, I feel like it's the same problem. I've gotten some pitches where I could completely tell it was not written by a human being. <laughs> like, right. just, yeah, like the flow of the words, the tone. It's just it's strange. It feels almost like those same words that they use in all of them, like delve. Yeah. <laughs> like, Every time I see that, I'm like, ah. It's like when you that's put something AI through one of those like translation apps and it's not a really good translation. That's mm-hmm. what AI pitches or AI writing looks like. I think that we're at the beginning of AI and it's probably going to get more sophisticated in time. Sure. But right yeah. now, I think that just as much as I think articles should be written by human beings, I think pitches should be, should be written by human beings also. Hmm. Hmm. Yes, for sure. Nice. Okay, um, let's talk about a little something else. We're still going to be talking about pitching because, you know, that's what I love to talk about what we're here for. Let's talk about your Substack newsletter. Like, your Substack newsletter is everything. It comes out daily. Like, I'm good if I get out a newsletter weekly. <laughs> <laughs> and you have won an award for your Substack for last year. So do you mind sharing kind of like what Substack is and how you use it as a journalist? Sure. Substack has been a game changer. I love it so much. I do too. <laughs> it's a great, and there's like so many authors on there, like cookbook authors, political analysts, financial analysts, anything you want, they probably have a Substack. I use it. I put out my daily source needs, what I'm working on, what's recently published. I like to give some commentary also about events I was recently at or a mailing I got or a trip because I'm trying to make it more of a community versus 
you know, me talking at people because articles have that. I want this to be, you know, me and my readership and the people I email with can actually interact in a meaningful way. Yes. So um, I'm a publicist and I get it. And I know that um, a publicist are in your target audience. Do you um, allow like regular people who are not publicists to like subscribe to your Substack and pitch you like everyday entrepreneurs or experts? Mm -hmm. Or should it only be publicists that reach out to you from that? Everyone is welcome. I definitely have some subscribers that are small business owners. And honestly, I love it. If you are doing a gift guide, there's no greater gift, no pun intended, than having, <laughs> you know, products in it that aren't in 40 other gift guides. And yeah, when you yeah. work, yeah, with a smaller business, you get the more original creative things with a better story behind it. I love that. Literally, I want everyone to join to subscribe. And if they find something that's useful for them, go with it. Yes. So will you explain how it works? Um, like what the source is and then kind of like how you structure it out and what your expectations are for sure. people to respond? Yeah. So I send it out every morning, um, five days a week. And I do a supplemental one on Saturday. That's more of an industry insights, like paid one. The daily mm -hmm. one is free. And I on there, so I'll be like, hi, I'm working on this story for Forbes. And I am looking for chefs to comment on great dishes involving caviar. And so I will ask for them to send certain deliverables, like information about the dish, um, a location of the restaurant, a link to an image of it. And then I could get back to them if I have more questions. Sometimes I might say I need chefs or dietitians or spa directors, depending on what I'm working on to comment. So there's a source request. There's newly published links. I also share job leads. A lot of my readers will email me. They have openings at their company and I'll put a job lead in and that's totally free also. I just want to connect good people with good opportunities. Nice. Me too. That's what I do. <laughs> Connect good people with good opportunities. Well, thank you so much for your Substack. I, I love it. Like I follow so many people on there, but you were definitely the first person that I um, found on Substack and started to follow. And then I created my own Substack and I love it. It's so handy. You know, I have my newsletter there, my podcast there. So I'm going to make sure that I'm, and I'm still learning Substack. Like I have so much to learn. <laughs> um, I'm going to put it to where people can connect with you from my Substack because I've never done that before. Oh, awesome. I wanted to do it, but I was like, is it strange to just put someone's up there or should I ask them first? Or like, should I have a relationship? You know, like overthinking all the things. <laughs> I overthink all the things, but we have a relationship anyway. We're totally friends now. <laughs> yes, we're totally friends. You are stuck with me. So I'm going to link uh, you to my Substack. So if my listeners, you know, if you get my podcast through Substack or my newsletter, then you can find Allie's Substack from mine so i'll make sure that i connect you with that awesome. um, tell me about like how you got awarded for it so your substack's like going crazy you're getting awards from you know getting recognized by muckrat what do you think um like makes your newsletter um, like that super popular. <laughs> <laughs> well, the muckrack thing was more, I think, for being a food writer in general. So it was like all the publications I write for. Oh, I'm, I'm mixing it up. I'm no, it's okay. It's okay. I'm sure the newsletter was a part of it. So you're you're not mixing anything up. Um, no. So the the official title of the muckrack thing was most popular food journalist of 2022. I don't know if that's true. I don't really consider myself that popular, but. I appreciated it. But um, yeah, I think as far as my newsletter's popularity, it's inconsistency. It's because I send it out mm. every single day. And I think that matters. Like if someone knows where to find you and when you'll be in their inbox, it develops a habit. Like a lot of my readers say that they, you know, make their morning coffee and they sit down and read my newsletter before they start their day. Mm -hmm. And that is makes me so happy because it makes me feel like I'm really like connecting with people. Nice. We like that so much. Um, so I do want to get into um, a lot of the particulars about things that you do and don't like and, you know, things that you love to see in your inbox and things that make you cringe. But we are going to take a little short commercial break because we're like halfway through. This will be the first time that I run my little ad <laughs> in my podcast. So we're going to take a break. It's 39 seconds long. And then we're going to hop back on and we are going to ask you all the cheat codes i love it <laughs> 
Looking to show some love for the Media Circus podcast with Taisha Bradley, celebrity publicist? Here's how. Hit that subscribe button to stay up to date on all the latest episodes. Leave a review and share your media wins for a chance to be featured on the show. And by subscribing to Media Circus Publicity Leads on Patreon, you can support the podcast and get instant access to publicity opportunities for TV, magazines, major blogs, podcasts, and even red carpet events. So what are you waiting for? Show your support for Taisha Bradley and the Media Circus Podcast today. Yay, and we're Yay. back, and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you. Okay. So now I'm going to ask you like the questions that I want to know the other journalists, I mean, other uh, publicists want to know and people like my entrepreneurs, experts that listen to this podcast or want to know. Mm -hmm. So we know that you find sources for your stories a lot through your sub stack. So if you put um, like a query out there and there are three people who reply, who are interested in helping you with your story, what are you looking for when you are vetting people um, to work with? So what actually happens is there's usually like 300 people who respond. To <laughs> so, so let's do 300 as the example. Yeah, that makes it even more serious. It really does because when the article ultimately comes up out there, it's an inevitable rush of emails. Why weren't we included? So this is something that people do want to know about. Um, the first thing I look at, did they meet my deadline? Did they come before my deadline? If I get everything I need and my deadline is Friday, but if I have everything I need on Tuesday, I'm done with that story Tuesday. So early, early bird gets the worm. Yeah. <laughs> if you want your best possible chance, let me see you before I see anyone else. But also like, give me all the things that I ask for. If I have five different things that I need in a response, you can't just send three because if the other 298 cent five you're already out of the out of the running yes mm -hmm. so it's meet the mm -hmm. deadline but exceed it <laughs> um give me everything that i'm asking for and then be the best fit like you know at the end of the day if i'm doing a cocktail roundup if it's a good photo of a cocktail versus a crappy photo of the of a cocktail i'm going to use them with a the good photo because people are going to want to see the cocktail right right so good photography if you're on time, you're late. If you're early, you're on time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, what is, what will make you do like it immediately know? Like the, the little meme, immediately know, immediately know. <laughs> um, well, immediate no would be if I say I'm working on a roundup of coffee beans to gift for the first day of school. I'm just making that up. And someone responds, you should really include tea. And I'll be like, but tea is not my assignment. <laughs> right okay so people yeah are trying to redirect or are trying to change the narrative right. i don't <laughs> get what to... you're writing about yeah i don't get to change my assignment if my assignment is coffee i have to write about coffee even if i'm sure you're i love tea but mm -hmm. it's not the assignment <laughs> so if someone is a no do you tell them no or do you just move on I just move on because honestly, I get so, so many emails and a no isn't really a no. A no is not for this story. There might be a story not tomorrow or yes for. So it's just like, it wasn't a fit. I honestly don't respond to everyone. Mm -hmm. If it just makes, I get like a thousand emails a day. It's not possible. Yes. So here's another part that's just so super cringe for everybody. I think on both sides, on the pitching side and on the receiving side, how much is too much to follow up like following up once is too much like don't follow up follow up twice like it's so controversial in the follow-up it even makes me fearful like all right how many <laughs> times are we gonna do this i'm gonna try to feel it out what I, what what would you say for follow-up i'm fine with follow-ups i definitely think that there is a possibility of being too much there's times i have like chains of threads in my email where someone every single day will write back is this a fit is this a fit is there any update on that that's a little aggressive but if you want to follow up once a week that's fine I will say, though, make sure it's an email follow-up because people sometimes try to skip the line by DMing me their follow-up, mm. and that's a little much. I don't like DM pitches, mm. and I definitely don't like DM follow-ups. It's aggressive. Mm. That's good to know. And I think that is such a preference, an individual preference with journalists because some people are like, sure, hit me in the DMs, and some people are like, never do that if you want me to read it. <laughs> I mean, I read my not. DMs. 
Yeah, if you want to DM me about, oh, I really loved your salmon recipe. What, like, what spices did you use? That's cool. Right. That's a good thing. But, but not yeah, and also it's actually for everyone's benefit because if I need to go back to that pitch later and find a detail about it, I can search my inbox. Mm -hmm. I can't search my DMs. Yes, that's a good thought. That's a good thought. And so a lot of what is common with a lot of my guests on the podcast is that they hold on to emails. <laughs> I do. And they just search their inboxes for certain terms and see what pops up. That's so, exactly you know, it's not always a, a no, it's just a not now mm -hmm. or not this story. Absolutely. Like you said. Yeah. If you pitched me um, pink martini wine glasses for people who love Barbie today, I am not working on that story. If I get assigned that story next week, I will go into my inbox and look for those words. Mm, you was and, like yeah. Barbie, Barbie core, pink. Yeah. And that's how I'll find it again. And honestly, it could be next week. It could be in three months. And assuming you still have that client, we could still work on that story mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the thing, because the Barbie movie is coming out in July. I'm mm -hmm. very excited for that, because I'm a Barbie core kind of girl. <laughs> Me too. I went to the Barbie cafe when it opened. It was a little wow. cheap. Yeah, it was fun, though. I feel like I, I did that with, like, my two best friends. We wore pink. It was awesome. Oh, that sounds so fun. That sounds so fun so yes gotta check out the movie definitely i'm gonna check out the movie i, I feel like i have to i mean yes. just like for the sex in the city remake i made my cosmo because you just you got to <laughs> I mean, right you have to that was that's a perfect fit for you <laughs> <laughs> really all, all the cosmo and the drinks good content roundups for that yeah i love it it's, it's all my little buzzwords <laughs> <laughs> all right um, and so because you get so many emails, is there a better day to email you? Like, are you like slammed at the beginning of the week, the end of the week or all the time? I would say the business. So I really believe a lot of people uh, over the weekend are writing emails and scheduling them because my mm. busiest moment of the week is at around 9.02 Monday morning. I get like this waterfall of email. So I'm convinced <laughs> people are writing those like on Sunday as they watch right. like, morning Food Network or whatever. So mm. I would say Monday morning is when you don't want to email because it's apparently when a thousand other people are. Um, okay. Good afternoon. And the quietest time of all now is later in the week. I think summer Fridays used to be like Friday afternoon, but now people yeah. kind of are checked out all day Friday. So mm -hmm. super slow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if I wanted to make sure someone saw my email. I think I would send it on like a Thursday afternoon or a Friday because no one else is emailing them. You guys write that down. <laughs> it's like right, yelling. It's like, you know, going on the highway when there won't be traffic. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's when you can kind of like get straight through. So nice. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And I'm on my email then. I don't get summer Fridays. I'm a freelancer. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> You're always at work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk about social media. Are there places on social media that you hang out more like, you know, just kind of scrolling, looking for story ideas or um, like where, where could people find you on social media? I'm um, very active on Instagram. Actually, mm -hmm. during the pandemic, I was doing the whole isolation thing all by myself. So I would yeah. cook my dinner every night on Instagram on video. So that way, like I had company because my followers were with me, but yeah. also Yes, I felt less alone. And there are other people who I think were also doing the isolation thing by themselves. So they felt less alone. So I still, I have a soft spot for Instagram. It's where you'll see, I'll update my Instagram stories, basically, mm -hmm. whatever I'm eating, wherever I'm going, whatever my dogs are doing. <laughs> nice. Um, so they're on IG. Okay. Yeah, on IG. Yeah. I, I try to do TikTok, but honestly, I'm very old and not very good at it. It takes a lot of work. <laughs> I tried. I did like four TikToks. I think I have like 16 followers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's sad, but I just, I'm too old. I so used Do you do reels on Instagram if you're on IG a lot? I feel like reels is more like, I don't know, businessy where you can get away with doing like voiceovers and things like that, it's as opposed to bad. being on TikTok dancing and, you know, performing. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> I've done a couple of reels and I've done a couple of TikToks, but honestly, most of my Insta stories are pretty like straightforward. <laughs> yeah. I love stories too. They're I do stories. Easy. I do posts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I used to tweet a lot back in the day, but Twitter is not Twitter anymore. So I, yeah. Yeah, that's a whole thing. I so I still I'm hanging in there on Twitter because I have so many great Twitter lists. 
Me too. It's like all of my journalists on there. And I'm like, ah, I want to kind of get it off. But like, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. I mean, back like a decade ago, that's where I went for crowdsource stories. Like it was yes. fantastic. Like Twitter was I, the place. It was there's so many people there. But like now that you can't even be verified in a legitimate way, I don't know if someone who says that they're like a doctor of whatever is actually a doctor of anything. <laughs> right. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true as well. And I'm glad that you got on that. So when you get a source to help you out with a story, how do you vet them? What are you looking for? Do you go to like their website, their social media? What are green flags? What are red flags? Like, what are you looking for when you're checking out people to work? With? I definitely Google them. I, I check out their social media. I make sure they have a website. Um, I ask for their credentials. And like, it is a, it is a thing. Very often I'll be working on a story where I need a registered dietitian or a sleep expert or something. And a lot of the pictures I will get will be like, oh, I see you working on a story, Junior RD about cottage cheese. Well, this is our ID. We work with XYZ cottage cheese and this RD RD works as like, I can't have someone who is paid by someone commenting about that Mm -hmm. someone that's Mm -hmm. been an advertisement. I need someone affiliated who could give Mm -hmm. unbiased, like credible information. Yes. Yes. I I run into that a lot. And, you know, people mix the lines with that so much, even um, with like, you know, podcasts that charge guests or, you know, Roku channels that charge guests. And while it may seem like I'm anti-paying for an interview, I'm not. Just call it what it is. It's advertising. <laughs> exactly. It's advertising. You, you see it if you're watching the morning shows, like so-and-so is here as representative of this canned tomato sauce. Yeah. And you know that that's what it is in that case. <laughs> yeah. So there's just so many people, you know, who just get like the misconception of, you know, kind of what publicity is, the difference between PR and advertising, because, you know, it's just really so close. And sometimes it can be the exchange of money. That right. makes the difference between um, one or the other. However, I do like a good advertorial, though. I will say, yeah, <laughs> I will say that. I do okay. have an appreciation for a good advertorial. Yeah, but what I like about it is that there's a disclaimer there. They let you know yes. that's what it is. I think yes. the problem happens when people don't make that disclaimer and they're pretending they're like, you know, real source with real like, you know, research and it's, it's an ad. Right. Yes. And so and then there's also a difference between the impact mm-hmm. of paid media and earned media you know you might have this nice shiny um production that you paid for to get interviewed but it doesn't have the same weight as publicity you know as if it was a media story or a news story or any kind of third party story it just doesn't really have the same kind of weight i feel like it looks good on the outside <laughs> mm-hmm. but what does it do like for your business or your brand you know right um, you and mean- that comes with like the seo backlinks and things like that that people like never heard of don't think about you know, oh, SEO such a big point. Yeah, I mean, the SEO is a huge part of everything. Even when I get assignments and it's like 20 best bagels in New York, according to chefs, there's a reason that that's the keywords. <laughs> yes, yeah, I've just keywords are like so everything right now. And I feel like, you know, with so much AI, you know, kind of going on that, like, it's going to even make it even harder to kind of fight for those those SEO keywords. So Absolutely. Yes. Awesome. What is a story that you wrote about um, that changed your life? Like something that an article that you wrote or a story that you covered and, you know, you thought it was going to be just work, but it really like impacted you forever. Is there anything that you could think of like that? Well, I don't know if any of my writing was that important. There's some things that I really loved working on. Or I'm someone just... that you met that you like are forever connected to. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know about that. I could say that I, I covered, I did a lot of writing about Meghan and Harry's royal wedding. And that was amazing because mm. I've always been like the one person in the friend group that throws around the random royal facts from 400 years ago. And everyone's like, that's really cute for you. Get life. <laughs> like for once, for a couple, like six months, like my obsession was the world's obsession, which was great. And I actually went right before the royal wedding um, to England and visited a lot of royal sites. I was obviously not at the royal wedding because I'm not that important, but I was in the same country as the royal wedding. That counts. <laughs> I was also actually in um, the UK for the coronation last month. Oh, wow. Yeah, also not physically at the coronation, but in the same city. 
Yeah, I feel like is that more accessible now? Some of my favorite YouTubers were were at that, and I'm like, okay, is this like the new? Yeah, I mean, well, they, <laughs> like as long as you weren't going like inside the Abbey, mm-hmm. that you needed to have like you know tickets and credentials or whatever. But if you just want to go into one of the major sites and like see the procession or watch one of the big screens in the park, anyone could go. Oh, nice. I didn't know. It's, I feel like so many people are like very more interested in like the royal family now and are taking trips. And so, you know, I just saw so many YouTubers. I was like, man, this yeah, is it's, like it's a, it's a tourist place. place. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like the royal family has a lot of faults, but they bring a lot of tourism dollars. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, if you could give um, one major piece of advice to entrepreneurs or experts who would like to leverage the power um, and reach of media to share like their message, their stories, their products, what would you tell them? I would say make an effort to make a connection, make it more personal. Like that's how people will be interested in you and your products. So, you know, follow journalists on social media, see the kind of writing they're doing, what they're working on. And then, you know, with that armed, then you pitch them and you know a little piece of them and you know more about what's going on in their life. And I think that that will help make that connection and have those stories told. Right. Yeah. In this genuine, this age of genuine connections, I think social media and technology is kind of, you know, moved relationships and you know relate we feel like we have relationships because we connect with people online and we see them like my family like my my mom will be like oh when's the last time you talked to your cousin I'm like I talk to them all the time but yeah. in reality I probably haven't talked to them on the phone in like two years but I feel connected and in the loop and like we do talk because we're interacting on social media but really do I really like know what's going on no <laughs> it's basically that's how I keep in touch with most of my friends. Like I know like where they are, what they're eating, what they are seeing on TV doesn't mean I actually see them and I hardly call anyone. <laughs> right. Yeah. But then, you know, the, there's still that those connections that we still have to kind of make with people so that we stay in the loop. So I guess so. I was saying, so it's not so surface, you know? And so yeah. I think when, when people aim to go online to like, all right, I'm going to connect with the journalists and, you know, I'm going to follow them. I'm going to interact and integrate, engage. I think a lot of times it's like at a surface level. Right. And, know, and, it, and not, and you can tell it. that. Yeah, you can. You can. You yeah, can. but I also could see when it's fake in an email where it's like you know obligatory one sentence of niceties, and then it oh, goes. Yeah, I really loved your article on fill in the blank. Yes, it's <laughs> exactly. not even my article that they're referring to. You can tell, like, oh, they cut and pasted in the wrong place. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a oh that's a bad publicist fear to like be mass emailing people you know um and then like mess up your copy paste thing because it happens you know. all the time or oh, it's the most embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> i get a lot of emails dear x and i'm like oops or you're yes. someone yeah. else's name <laughs> yeah yeah and it's, it's it happens to the best of us and i'm like oh well cancel that like i just <laughs> I just assume that one is not going to work out and I move on. But sometimes yeah. it does. They're like, yeah, actually, my name is, you know, Allie. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. And not Jacob. But anyway, sounds great. Send it over. And I'm like, oh, thank God. We all are sending like a million emails a day. It's going to happen. We're all human beings. <laughs> so that's that's forgivable. Oh, thank goodness. Oh, yeah, it's totally <laughs> forgivable. Grace. But I really think it is like making a connection. So like when I see someone's name in my inbox, I'm like, wait a second, I know them. I'm like, oh, we're connected on Instagram. And like, yeah. So that recognize people. Yeah, you recognize people. They're just going to stand out. It's like, you know, back when you would mail out resumes, you wanted to do the pink envelope because then it would like stand out with the rest of the envelopes. Mm -hmm. This is how you could, you know, pink envelope yourself in someone's inbox. Nice. I like that pink envelope yourself. <laughs> so the, my strategy um, for like making connections with media, I think, is that like I'll find someone and be like, oh, this is so interesting. And so what I'll do is I'll follow them on social media, but I won't make it a point to engage with them. I'll let it naturally happen. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if something comes in my timeline, like either I like it or not, like I'm going to say something, I'm going to comment, you know. Sometimes I'm not even exactly sure who the person is. Like, I don't even know who that is, but it's somebody I followed. Ha ha, this is funny. Or, you know, I comment. And then, you know, then the more I engage with that person or they talk back to me, the more they show up in my feed. 
And the more I kind of engage with their things, and I'm like, oh, I love her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and then you, like it's like it naturally happens. You know, right? You're creating an authentic relationship, and I honestly, I think it's almost like dating. Like you can't fake these things. Yeah, you definitely can because it it comes across really phony. And I think that's where a lot of people get intimidated with like pitching media and everything. Like they know that they sound fun, phony. They know that they sound like a little opportunistic, you know, it's it's like a little cringe, you know, but if you genuinely have something to share, you know, and you genuinely feel like you have an idea of who you're speaking to that you can be helpful and not just self-serving, it's not scary at all. I'm, I feel like, like I'm offering you something. I'm trying to help you, you know? <laughs> right. And like, you're telling me about something you're excited about and I'm going to be excited to write about it. Cause if you're excited, I'm excited. Yes. It's always been hard for me. Um, in my freelance days to work for someone that I didn't believe in, you know, back in the, the two thousands, you know, I've worked for like some rappers here and there. And I'm like, geez, you are terrible. Yeah. I have a lot of friends that are publicists and I can tell when they have a client they're excited about or one that is really stressing them out. Yes. Yes. Or one where we're not like sure about, or even like if there's someone who has like some controversy around them, Mm -hmm. you know, when I work with people and I'm like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know what the feedback is going to be. Um, because I feel like as a publicist, my reputation goes with me no matter who I'm working for, where I'm working for, you know, and I just can't show up to the party (laughs) with a crazy friend all the time, you know, it it follows you. So I would have to be like, you know, kind of discerning about who I even represent because you know if I come you know people could associate me um with with those people or different brand or you know so and it follows you and then like 10 years later like you have a different client like but I remember when you had that client (laughs) right and you're like listen I was struggling I was starting out then (laughs) I mean I've written for some wild publications before I was where I was today (laughs) (laughs) Right. I actually turned down working with a religious organization because I was like, you, you what now? No, absolutely not. (laughs) It was a very, very unique church. And I was like, I don't think I can do this. Like, no, this is why I stick to writing about like really good martinis. Martinis will never be controversial. (laughs) Martinis will never be controversial. Yes. So I like, I like safe fun things you know i don't too truly take on any like kind of crisis communication things yeah. like those things are behind me i cherry pick what parts of pr and publicity and media that i like to talk about and like work with i listen i've done the heavy things back in the day i wanted light and fun and martinis and barbies i feel like if the pandemic and lockdown taught us anything it's just like to learn how to value your time more Yes, yes, definitely. And speaking of like more time, I saw um, when you were um, on YouTube, Business Insider, and it was like uh, maybe two years ago. And it was a question that they asked about um, like how the pandemic had like impacted you. And you talked about, you know, kind of isolating alone. Mm -hmm. And then you also talked about starting to work with publicists on zoom and so during that time things changed for me as well because i was um you know making a lot of like my income doing like live events you know connecting people in media live and then that like went away like immediately yeah (laughs) what do you do you know once we realized this was not going to be the two-week thing that they said you know you kind of had to pivot and do things differently and i feel like the media kind of opened up a whole lot more where, you know, you would see TV talk shows, the guests would remote in, the studio mm-hmm. audience would remote in. And then I found like every news art, news outlet was, you know, letting people remote in as guests. And mm-hmm. that even though when they open the studios again, I feel like it's still a thing, you know, yeah. and it'll always be there. What is your take on like connecting with media and publicists and sources like online? I like it. Honestly, I mean, it's I think that Zoom events like they should stick around because I have good friends in Florida and California and Chicago. How cool is it? We could attend the same press event. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
And also mm-hmm. from a budgetary standpoint, it's great because instead of having to rent like a catering hall or event space in all these major cities, you could do it online. That said, I do go to real events again and I do travel. Right. But yeah. I think that just like hybrid workplaces exist, like Zoom events are fine. If you want to have a webinar to talk about a new lipstick launch, there's no reason to have a whole big in-person event. Send everyone the lipstick and let's meet on Zoom. Right. Yes. You save on travel time, everything. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm kind of glad that that happened, that everything kind of opened up and, you know, virtual um, people embraced it. People who never heard of Zoom or, you know, didn't know how to use Zoom got introduced to that. And so I think that, you know, kind of most people now, you know, who are online have that base level of being able to, you know, attend, attend things virtually and pitch virtually, interview virtually. I just think that it just really opened up. It gave people a lot of access, a lot more access to the media um, mm-hmm. than ever before. Like access to the media like this never existed. <laughs> it did not exist <laughs> 20 oh, years ago when I was starting out in PR. Like you just couldn't get in front of a person, you know, kind of one-on-one to pitch or talk without having some kind of appointment or some kind of rapport. Like, so people have it, you know, they have a lot of access to the media now and I just don't see how people can't. <laughs> you know, I mean, use I that think, opportunity to get their message out there and to help people. Of course. And they offer so many opportunities. Like it used to be if a publicist wanted to arrange a desk side and I would be like, well, I live in a tiny apartment. I don't really have a desk. We'll have to meet at a coffee shop or for lunch. Now we could meet on Zoom and have coffee together or a glass of wine together. Yes, I think that, yes, it's definitely um, open the gate for that. And I love it. I tend to use it a lot more in the future. I have a series of live um, virtual events, live virtual events. So not recorded, mm-hmm. but live virtual events coming up in the fall um, where I will be connecting um, entrepreneurs and experts with the members of the media because now it's a thing, you know? And so people are like, oh yeah, we love more of it. So I'm very excited to be able to, you know, kind of bring more connections and make it easier um, for the media to find vetted guests, you know, people who are already ready and ready to go. Um, mm-hmm. And also people, you know, match people with those opportunities to, you know, share with with people like you who are telling stories for a living, you know, and changing people's lives because, you know, it can be so impactful, you know, businesses have been saved <laughs> because <laughs> of articles, lives have been saved and changed, you know, because of, you know, what we consume that you journalists are putting out there. And so we thank you all for that. We know that, you know, work-life balance isn't always a thing for you all because the media never stops. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that, you know, we have media friends that have gotten hurt or died in the line of duty, you know, recovering stories. Um, I had an episode, a prior episode with Tabney Dozier, you know, and she was talking about, you know, um, there was, there was like that media shooting during that time where people are like first on the scene for things, you know, for the media and they're risking their lives to be able to give, you know, to tell us the stories and bring things there, you know, so there's just so Um, Many ways that the media, you know, kind of that you all as people, individuals, you know, have to take on a lot to continue to, you know, get the news and stories through. So definitely kudos to you all. We appreciate the work that you all do. Um, It does not go unnoticed and unappreciated. (laughs) That means so much to me. Thank you. So let me ask you, because you are always on one side of the pen, and I know that you have done interviews um, and, you know, where you've talked and you're on podcasts now. You've been on several podcasts, and I've actually <laughs> subscribed to those podcasts because I was listening to your, I was like, oh, gosh, look at all these great PR podcasts. So shout out to all the other PR podcasters. Like, that wasn't a thing for a while either. Like, a lot of PR people, publicists, we didn't have podcasts, but we are out here now. <laughs> I love that you awesome. are. It's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome that you were doing that. I got to discover other podcasts that you have been on. But what would you say would be like your bucket list media feature, like a magazine or a TV show or a news story? Like, where would you love to see yourself featured? Um, the Times. I would love to be in the Times. I mean, I just think it goes back to growing up in New York City and the New York Times being like mm-hmm. the publication. Um, I would, yeah, I feel like for the same reason, like um, New Yorker magazine would be amazing mm-hmm. just because it's another classic. Yeah. But you never know. I mean, like, 
I'm writing for now some sites that like 10 years ago would have seemed like a reach and now I am. So you never know what the future will hold. Nice. And what would the headline be in the New Yorker? Oh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't even know. I mean, I haven't even figured out what I want to write for them. I just want to have my byline in there. <laughs> right. But if there was a story about you, if there was a, a story, story about, about me, you. yeah, about you. Oh, I mean, I my story about you. You still, about you're still on the wrong side of the pen. I put you on the I, other side. Oh, okay. All right. I want to. I'm on the other side of the pen. Oh, then yes. Change my answer altogether. I would love to be like, you know, featured in one of those like giant women's magazines like okay. Vogue or mm. uh, Cosmo or Vanity Fair mm. or back to New York Times. And I feel like I just want to be written as like a badass. I never feel like a badass. Writing is very lonely sometimes. And I would love to feel like a princess for a day. <laughs> uh, well, you definitely are. <laughs> a princess, definitely badass in the media. Like you are way up there, like on my top, on my short list of like freelance writers that I think are like killing it. So oh my gosh, thank you so God. much for agreeing to be on the podcast. I was nervous to ask you. Oh my God, you're friends now. Please never be nervous. It's, I'm so honored. <laughs> I definitely won't. Well, that is bringing us toward the end of the podcast. So you guys, I hope that you took lots of notes. Um, I hope that you like this, subscribe, check out the show notes, because I do really good show notes, Allie, because, you know, SEO. But also, I do really good show notes with uh, like the uh, the timestamps so that people can go back and kind of reference and refer, you know, learn things from you and learn how to pitch you. So hopefully because of this podcast, you'll get some better pitches. <laughs> I hope so. And we'll all work on them together. You know, we, working together, we all make each other work better, I think. Yes, we can. Well, thank you so much. I'll make sure that everyone is able to follow you on social media and also subscribe to your Substack. I'm going to have all of your links in the show notes. So again, I thank you so much for being on the podcast and thank we you appreciate for having you. Me. Thank so you. Thank you so much. That was so great. Thank you.